Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us in this episode of Taking the Road Less Traveled Through a Disrupted World with David Irvin and myself, Allie Stone. Our intent in this podcast is to have open-hearted, real conversations about our authentic journey through this disrupted time in our world. And we also feel that what we learn from this journey will be able to apply to an emerging new world when we come out the other side. In our commitment to make a difference to difference makers, we want to use this podcast to explore what's happening in this time in our lives, and as well as what's happening in the lives of those of you who are committed to making a difference, making a difference the authentic way. Now, David's mission is to connect leaders to their authentic selves which inspires and enables them to have a meaningful impact on their organizations, communities, and even their families. David says leadership at its core is about influence and it has nothing to do with our titles or the letters behind our names or even the sizes of our offices. Leadership is about the capacity to inspire others to action. It truly is about making a difference. And Allie Stone has joined me on this journey as she has a deep understanding of what it means to lead authentically. She has spent the last 15 years of her career exploring what caring leadership looks like and how organizations can be built from the heart and still be truly successful. For Allie, leadership is life. She believes anything involving human connection is all interconnected in the experience of living. And she is passionate about working with other leaders who are inspired to create something similar. It is her belief that sharing her lessons will help other leaders gain deeper insights and understanding as to the infinite possibility that lies ahead for each of us when we connect with our hearts. Uh, Welcome to everybody who is here. We're so uh, honored and excited to have you all here with us today. Uh, We're going to do a presentation, an hour-long presentation on Caring is Everything, and this is a uh, book that David wrote, and he'll tell you a little bit about it through uh, through our talk today, but really, uh, we're focusing on the art of authentic leadership and how caring is the core, and I just wanted to uh, quickly say before we get started today that I think we all just kind of need to, not kind of, we all need to stop and honor (laughs) everything that's going on in the world right now. This has been a challenging year. And when we were discussing what we wanted to present on, uh, caring was so relevant to David and I because it's hard right now. It's hard to stay connected. It's very hard to stay connected to people in the way that we knew and the whole world has changed. And so we really just wanted to honor that. And we're very happy that you're here. We wanna help open your hearts a little today and share a little bit of our ideas around caring. So uh, with that, I'm gonna turn it over to Mr. David Irvin. And if you don't know Dave, he is an incredible speaker, thought leader, author, and uh, he's gonna share his heart with you today. And uh, we'll go a little bit back and forth here, but I'll turn it over to Dave and uh, we'll go from there. Thank you, Allie. Thank you, everybody, for investing your time today. I know the the uh, the voices on the internet. There's a lot calling us today, and the, the fact that you would come and 
joining us for an hour here uh, means a great deal to, to uh, both Allie and I. And just another reminder, uh, please, yeah, please let's just create a, uh, a dialogue in the chat room. Allie and I will stay on for half an hour after if you have the time uh, to answer questions, to have a dialogue, uh, and let's stay, let's, uh, let's stay connected. All right, uh, you know, this is going to be a little different than I'm used to doing. I'm used to having models and diagrams and processes, and I'm in the leadership development field, and I think given, you know, we just had a announcement of a complete lockdown here in Alberta. Um, I know, uh, you know, two out of three of my daughters and grandkids won't be here during these holidays, this holiday season. Uh, these are these are challenging times. And I think what I want to do is just really speak from my heart today. And I think Allie's going to be in the same the same boat here. Uh, we're going to let go of our a lot of our our models and and our theories and uh, just try to be as best we can real with you. Uh, there's times in our lives when we're on narrow roads and at such times we're fools if we try to maintain our usual speed. I think this whole pandemic is an opportunity to slow down, to really examine our values, to really examine what matters. There was a, an economist from Stanford University 10 years ago who said a, a crisis is a terrible thing to waste and we, we don't wanna do is we don't want to waste this. We don't want to just get through it. You know, just because the, you know, the vaccines are maybe coming, it's going to be a while before we get out of this deal. And let's not wait for a panacea. Let's see what we can do to grow in the process. So the, if we're going to be caring, it starts by connecting. And I'm just going to show you this one little slide. We, I mean, we could spend all day just on this one slide. But if you're going to be caring to yourself and caring about the teams and caring about your family and your community and awakening the caring within you, you first of all have to connect with yourself. So I just want to do a one minute check in here and ask yourself, ask you to ask yourself, what season are you in right now? Are you in the surviving season? Are you in the depleted season? Are you in the emerging season? Are you in the productive season? And I want to say a couple of things. There's no right or wrong season to be in. Now it's a little easier in summer than it is in winter if you live in Canada, granted. Um, I also know that these, these lines kind of mesh into each other. It can, it can snow in July here and we can be out running in shorts in January. So they kind of mesh it. But you know what? These seasons can last for minutes. They can last for months. I can tell you when I, this lockdown happened for me in uh, this COVID in, in last March, I went into a two month, two month funk. I was in the survival season. And uh, I, I had to go inside of myself. And, you know, the best way to get through a season is to be in it. The best way to enjoy winter in this country is to get out in it. Don't avoid it. Don't escape from it. Get out in it and be in it. Enjoy it. Embrace it. And it'll, it'll pass much quicker and you'll learn from it. You know, there's a key principle here is that you don't stand up in a funeral and give a motivational speech about how what a great opportunity this is. You know, you're probably right, it's a great opportunity, but where does the opportunity come? The opportunity comes because people have to grieve first. The opportunity is actually in the grieving. It's, it's, it's not just in the dying, it's in the grieving and how you grieve will create the opportunity. So don't move too quickly to an emerging productive season. It took me two months to get out of the surviving season and, and some of that depletion. And out of that, then it becomes authentic. If you move too quickly to the emerging or productive and you're always positive, it's good energy to move forward, but make sure you're real. I don't want to propose that people have to be in the bottom, but when you're in the bottom, allow yourself to be there. It's okay not to be okay. And we're not alone here. 
we're all grieving to some degree. We've all had to let go of something now and in the last nine, 10 months. And what, what's I, having, having gone through a lot of depression in my life, I know that depression isn't what kills us. It's when we get depressed about being depressed and we think we shouldn't be there. And let's just accept the fact that we're there. And this is what can make it real. And this is caring because we can begin to connect first and foremost with ourselves. You know, this is just a cross section of some of the companies that and organizations that I've worked with over the last probably dozen years, maybe less. Um, and you know, as the older I get, uh, what, I, what I'm learning is that the less I know about fewer things, the less I know about more things and the more I know about fewer things. And the one thing I do know is that in all my work of leadership development and culture and helping people develop accountable, uh, engaged organizations, one of the things that I do know is that it all comes down to how much we care about each other. You know, my little model here, and I'll just share this briefly, is that there's a difference between a boss and a leader. We need both, but they're very different. And sometimes they can be integrated together. In fact, the best bosses are the best leaders. The best leaders are the best bosses. But th this is on the, uh, there's a transactional side of all of our work. It's about a job, a position, a plan, and forces, performance, supervision, protocols in front of the computer, knowing versus a leader, which is about your life. It's not just a job, it's about your presence. It's about a purpose. Martin Luther King doesn't stand up in 1963 and say, I have a strategic plan. No, I have a reason for getting out of bed. Why do you get out of bed in the morning? The number one reason here people get out of bed is, well, to pee. Well, that's a good place to start, folks. But what gets us up early? What keeps us up late? What inspires us? Where are we spending our time mentoring and guiding and connecting and serving? It's about values. It's about in front of people. It's about learning. It's about unleashing. So there's always a transactional pull. And that, by the way, this can be as simple as going to the grocery store. Someone's got a name tag on. By the way, all uh, or at least most cashiers have a name tag. Why do they have a name tag? Because they have a name. Why do they have a name? Because they have a story. What would happen if we took 30 seconds through our mask, through the plexiglass, to just cheer up somebody for a change and just make their day? What if we shone a light on all the good things of gratitude that we're doing? That's a transformational act. It can happen in 30 seconds. It's about caring. What, what's the difference between transactional and transformational is it moves into this realm of caring. You can go through the motions. The pull will always be toward the transaction. I don't have time to do the transformational. I often hear that in my work in organizations, but the transformational, is where the real leadership happens. And then I, I'm not saying you can run an organization on the transformation. We love each other, but we, you know, we're not getting any work done. No, we have to do both. But this is parenting. By the way, it's really hard to be a transformational parent when you're trying to get your kids to get their homework done. This is, folks, why we have grandparents, because they're, they can only focus, they get to focus on the transformational side. I remember uh, driving downtown Cochrane here, where I'm from, uh, would have been a dozen years ago. And a police car came up behind me, RCMP car with his flash, lights flashing. An officer walked up beside my car and said, uh, I, I turned to the officer and I said, I'm really sure, officer, I wasn't speeding. And he said, no, you weren't speeding. And he turned around, had me look behind me. I rolled through a stop sign. And I said, well, you better give me a ticket. Now, there's a transaction, right? I, I give him my license, my uh, registration. He writes me out a ticket. I go pay for the ticket. It's a transaction. But when he brought back the ticket, he stopped. You see, you got to slow down on the transformational side. And he slowed down. He says, before I give you a ticket, I'm going to tell you why. Now he's a transformational leader. One conversation. I'm going to tell you why I'm giving you a ticket. And I said, that's interesting. Why? 
and there was this dead silence and I looked up and he had tears in his eyes. And uh, I said, you're gonna tell me why? And he says, yeah, I just came from a four fatality accident where we had four dead children. I had to pull four dead children out of the backseat of a van because somebody went through a stop sign and I wouldn't want that to happen to you. So folks, I have, you know, I won't say in the last 12 years that I haven't ever rolled through a stop sign again, but I tell you nine times out of 10, I'll think of that officer. And every time I talk to a corporate audience, I'll, talk, I'll just tell that story. And I've had emails, emails back to me about what that, how that changed their life in 30 seconds. That changed my habit, my, my driving habits. That's a transformational leader. And he probably never had a course in it. He was just being real. This is what real leadership is. Now I'm gonna introduce you to a transformational leader. Allie actually kicked the session off. But one of the reasons why I love Allie and have appreciated working with her, we met two years ago. And Allie has shown me how you build a company with love, taking care of people. It's a beautiful, magnificent company. She owns 11 restaurants. And I've been teaching this stuff for 35 years. And guess what? Allie's been living it in her restaurants. And she builds leaders. She brings these young people into their, into their stores and she builds leadership capacity. I was just part of a six month program for leaders, for general, she's got you know general managers in their twenties and helps them believe in themselves. It's magic. And she's gonna show you how she does that, at least give you some snapshots today of how you build a culture through love, through love and through taking care of people and by being real and authentic. She lives this stuff. And I, my passion is to support Allie to take her voice of what she's been doing in the restaurant business, to take it to the world and to have the world see the work that she's been doing and shine a light on it. So we've been a great team here. It's the first time that in the 35 years that I've been working that I actually met a successor in my business. And I, I, I know that and my hope is that she, will, that she will help live this business and this message beyond me. Uh, but Ali, I'm just immensely grateful. I must tell you uh, on, in her boardroom, and anybody in the hospitality industry would know the, the uh, remarkable feat that this is, but these are all of the uh, 10 year employees that work in the restaurant in her business. And uh, it's over 170 hours here. So folks, um, th this is a remarkable human being and she's gonna share her story. You know, uh, there's a couple of ways of, you know, Jerry Jenkins, the American author said that there's at least two ways to convey information. One is you can explain it and one is you can enchant people. Well, I'm kind of in our, in our partnership, I'm kind of the explainer and, and uh, Allie is kind of the enchanter. Um, so you'll get her enchanting stories as we go along here. So here's, yeah, we're going to take you on a journey. It's going to be a very personal journey because I believe as Allie does that leadership is very personal. Leadership can't be diminished to a bunch of titles and techniques and tools. Leadership is about how you live your life. It's about who you are. And we're going to talk about uh, that. You know, we're going to share our own experience here. And our, our purpose is really to build a whole community around people who are really committed to leading and living authentically and building a business around authenticity and caring. And I hope that we, you know, we've got school teachers, we've got realtors in here, we've got people in healthcare, education, farmers, agriculture, um, financial services. I mean, we've got it all over the map. And so I hope that we'll bring a thread of humanity through this whole thing. We're going to have three themes here. We're going to talk about the beauty of caring. We're going to talk about caring as a leader. And we're going to talk about caring that changes lives. I, could, I dedicate every presentation that I give on caring to my dear brother. He was a rural physician in Sundry, uh, lived, 
worked in Sundry as a doctor for uh, 35 years, had a brain tumor, got a brain tumor in 2013, and I was part of his caring team, his caregiving team that allowed him to uh, die at home. We cared for him for three and a half years, changed my life. His dying uh, improved my living. It was a tremendously healing experience for me to awaken to what really matters in our lives. And it's, it's, no, it's a little, it, in some ways, it's similar to the crisis that we're going through worldwide in that every crisis has an opportunity to take you deeper and appreciate and to clarify your values about what really matters. And out of that relationship with my brother while he was dying, I wrote this book on caring is everything. And it's my journey through the caring journey. And it's my experience through the caring, through the, through the grieving journey, because I, I didn't really impact, I didn't really realize the impact that he had had through his caring on his community and his profession and his team and his patients. Uh, I didn't really realize it until he was dying and I saw the caring come back to him. He wasn't just loved. He wasn't just, he, he wasn't just respected or admired. He was truly a beloved doctor and uh, influenced my life a great deal. I'm going to share with you a little video here. I always start, we all start our retreats with this little video. It's a 50 second clip of the opening of a movie that uh, has become a bit of a tradition in our family. We watch this movie every Christmas uh, with my adult children. By the way, I'll just remind you the movie itself, this clip is certainly family friendly, but the movie itself is not for kids. But uh, my adult kids, although we're only going to have one of them uh, this Christmas, these holidays, what, what I do know is that uh, this is a, it's a tremendous, it's a tremendous movie if you're interested in seeing the diversity of the human experience. So just enjoy this first 50 seconds of this movie. It's obviously pre-COVID, but I want have you watch in this 50 seconds the fact that just because we have masks and we have to social distance doesn't mean that we have to socially disconnect all of the emotions that is expressed in these first 50 seconds is still in us it's still in us and even though we may have some physical barriers it doesn't mean we have to have a barrier at the heart level Whenever I get gloomy with the state of the world, I think about the arrivals gate at Heathrow Airport. General opinion is starting to make out that we live in a world of hatred and greed. But I don't see that. Seems to me that love is everywhere. Often it's not particularly dignified or newsworthy, but it's always there. Fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, husbands and wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, old friends. When the planes hit the Twin Towers, as far as I know, none of the phone calls from the people on board were messages of hate or revenge. They were all messages of love. If you look for it, I've got a sneaky feeling you'll find that love actually is all around. So folks, not only is love all around, which is a basic premise, Love is who we are. Our definition of authenticity is that we, we live our lives true to the essence of who we are born to be. We are all born with three attributes. We are born creative, we are born to contribute, and we are born to care. And lots of research will bear this out that that we're, you, don't have to, you don't have to learn to be creative. You unlearn and then you have to reawaken creativity. 
through because of judgment, we suppress the creative nature of who we are. We are all contributors. Bring a cake, bake a cake with a two-year-old or a four-year-old. Uh, fix your your truck, and a two-year-old, four-year-old will want to help. You don't have to motivate a two-year-old. They will want to help. You have to manage a two-year-old, but you don't have to motivate a two-year-old. They want to help. It's in us to contribute. The way you suppress contribution is you do everything for kids and then wonder why they're not motivated when they're 10 years old. Well, we're not going to talk necessarily about creativity, although Allie has a whole module in our leadership program around awakening the creative essence of us. What I'm going to talk about today and what Allie's going to talk about today is awakening the caring nature. We know this, that babies, premature babies, twins, used to be put in separate incubators, but now we put them together because someone had the courage to say, you know what, being together helps the healing process. They support each other. We are born to care even before we know what we're doing. So folks, I would just ask you, how has the caring nature been awakened in you? How has it been suppressed and how has it been awakened? A lot of people have not been around people who, who care because they're hurting themselves. And when we're hurting and when we're protecting ourselves and when we're, we're, we're protecting the essence of who we are, which is to care, we may seem as though we're uncaring, but actually we're just trying to protect ourselves. And so we learn how to protect ourselves and in the process become not caring. I just wanna share with you one quick story before I turn it over to Ali, but I can't talk about caring without talking about my parents. My mother was cared through wisdom and my dad cared primarily through through bonding, through um, nurturing and bonding with me. He was the Canadian gymnastics champion. Some of you have heard my story on this, if you've heard me speak. He was the, nat the national gymnastics uh, champion back in the 1940s, he used to walk around the house on his hands. There's my favorite picture up on top of Mount Janowska, just outside of Banff. But I'm telling you, we had a gym in our basement. We had parallel bars and a, and a tumbling mat in our basement. He would take me down to the gym on the weekends, but every night, we'd be working out in the basement. And what he taught me was stay stronger. But what he really, I did not know. See, I was a polio survivor. I had polio meningitis when I was four, but I didn't find out that I had polio until I was a teenager because my dad never wanted me to label myself and limit my capacities by a label. What he was doing in the basement was strengthening me every day. He knew that my muscles weren't, weren't tuned and he needed to strengthen them. And he worked with my muscles until he discovered that I had a passion to run and then became a track coach, which is a story for another day. But what he taught me is when you go through the hard times in life, when you go through the challenging times, have a habit every day of getting stronger. What are you doing every day to strengthen yourself right now? And the more that the society and the culture puts pressure on you, and the more you get brought down and the more down you get, the, the more important it is to keep a strong habit, whether it's a physical habit, a, a spiritual habit, a mental habit, a creative habit, things that are helping you str be strong to counter the culture. Creating, caring creates ripples in time that expend to generations yet unborn, not just impact in the here and now, but impact in the here and forever. This is the power of awakening to our caring nature. Allie, I'll turn the time over to you now, my friend. Thanks, Dave. Um, 
So, I mean, I would argue that all caring changes lives, especially when it comes from a place of authenticity and compassion, when it comes from a place of a desire to give without an expectation of anything in return. I really think the core of authentic leadership is caring. That can be hard though. <laughs> in business and as a leader, the essence of our business is to exchange services and products for money. So it can be really easy to get caught up in that part of it. Caring leadership though, is what I really believe it's all about. And when we lead from a place that's in service of others, your world changes, let alone those who have the awesome of experience of being led by you. So over my years in the restaurant industry, I've come to deeply understand the almost spiritual nature of food and a dinner table. Food creates a space for people to connect, to be open, to share their lives. And I'm sure all of us at some point in time or another have experienced this, we've felt this. And as we began to shape our vision of what leadership was gonna look like in our organization, we knew that food for us would be the catalyst through which we would show care and ultimately create connections. Now, the unfortunate reality is that many people don't have food to connect over. And for so many people, food is something that's, it's scarce, adults and children alike. In all of our cities, so many people don't have a nourishing meal every day. So it became clear that through food, um, we would find a way to use food as our catalyst, not only within the four walls of our restaurants, but also in experiences that would happen outside of it. So it began with small gestures. <laughs> we started doing Christmas hampers. This was an incredible experience. I love this time. There was something that happened when we were like engaging in these acts of generosity that filled us up in ways that I didn't even think was possible. We had so much fun. It brought us together. It connected our teams like never before. And you know, when we sponsored families, we were able to give gifts to, we went all out. <laughs> so one year we chose these giant teddy bears as gifts. We purchased so many of them. We could hardly fit them all in my Jeep along with all the food. We weren't quite sure if the parents were going to be in love with what we had done, but the look on the kids' faces when we arrived, it was, it was priceless. It was totally worth it. The year after that, my husband came up with an idea to build a food truck. Now, uh, this wouldn't just be any food truck. We decided we would use it. We would never, sorry, we would never use this food truck for any kind of monetary gain. We would only use it to give back. We named it the heart cart after our core values and she's been on the road now taking care of people for over four years. Now the whole premise is that we recognize everyday people who do extraordinary things for their communities and the lives of others. So as you can imagine, this has been an incredible experience on this food truck. I could probably speak for the whole hour about it. So let's just say after well over 20,000 meals served, there's no question in my mind, the level of care and love we have shared through this vehicle. Now, at some point during all of this, uh, our franchise decided to partner with a local not-for-profit called MealShare. And it, it works like this, like a guest comes in, they order a MealShare identified item. We donate a dollar from each sale. It seemed pretty simple, cut and dry, copy and paste. But what ended up happening was so much more. Uh, I became connected with the founder of MealShare, and when I shared our passion for showing care through food, we instantly connected. 
And our partnership with MailShare took me and our teams to places we had never dreamed of. We started to volunteer in the places that our donations were supporting. Um, one of the big ones for us was the youth emergency shelter. Now my first experience at YES was nothing short of incredible. I went in with a group of people who wanted to volunteer from our organization and we made meals for Edmonton's youth who had by some way or another found themselves homeless. And you know what, to be able to see where this money was actually going was deeply inspiring. The impact it was having was far greater. It had a far greater reach than I ever could have imagined. And seeing this inspired me to get creative about ideas for the following winter. So I had this idea. I wanted to be able to take care of Edmonton's less fortunate. I was thought, what do people do in our city when it's minus 30 outside and they don't have a home? And we ended up coming up with something called delivering compassion. Now, I partnered with a local charity, Santa YAG, a good friend of mine, Jeff Tetz, and together we spent the span of two months, uh, in the span of two months in the first year, <clears throat> excuse me, we clothed and fed over 5,000 of Edmonton's less fortunate. Through this initiative, we brought together hundreds of people from inside and outside of our company. And together we shared in this experience of creating food and sharing it with love and care. Now, I always knew there was a need for food in our city, like I said, but I think I had this kind of preconceived notion of who those people would be. And getting involved in this initiative completely changed the way I viewed homelessness and hunger in the world. I had hundreds of firsthand experiences of real heart-to-heart -heart connection with people who had truly just been dealt a bad hand in life. I want to say all of us have been dealt a bad hand in life at some point in time. And most of us have been lucky enough to have someone reach out and be there for us when we needed it most. And engaging and delivering compassion with our team allowed them to see that they too could be that catalyst. They could be that hand to help someone in need. Now, the events of 2020 obviously have been unprecedented. In my, and in my 15 years of leadership in the restaurant industry, I never thought I would see the day that our teams would lose their job security the way it's happened this year. As March rolled on and mandatory business clo closures came into effect this year, it became clear that the people on our team now needed us to show that love and care to them. We ran a grocery program during the closure. It was called Full Bellies. Anybody in our team could come in to any of our restaurants and literally fill their fridge with groceries from the restaurant. Our restaurants shut down on March 17th in the first shutdown and we had to lay off 450 people. I wanna be really clear, we did not take that lightly and we understood the consequences of those layoffs. And the other thing is that there's been so many years that our team had engaged in all of these acts of caring and kindness and love and leadership with us, showing that food, showing that care through food and connection. It was now our turn to, for them to be recipients of that care. So I said, in the, as I said in the beginning of the story, there's this spiritual thing, right? With food and, and the dinner table and the connection and it, it touches our hearts. It's really beautiful. And I think for those of us on the call today who are in Alberta, we know that last night our government announced another mandatory lockdown and closures of our businesses. And I know this is for the greater good, I know. And we need it to flatten the curve, but it doesn't make it any easier for anybody. 
And so for the second time this year, our teams are once again facing the challenges of this uncertainty. And I know we can't take the uncertainty away, but we can, however, show we care. So we reinitiated the Full Bellies program and this time in more of a prepared meal uh, program so they could take it home. But I guess what I wanna say is that I know that we're all from a large cross section of uh, businesses and industry here on the call today. And that not everyone has food to use as a tool to provide caring for their team and even their communities. But I do, however, hope that the story connects you to the power of caring leadership. And you can begin to see the potential that it can have for your team and maybe even the communities that you're a part of. So I would challenge you as we go through this today to consider what tools you have in your business that you could utilize to show care. Like I said, for us, it was food. And maybe you have to get creative with this, but I believe the capacity to show care as a leader through our business is one of the most beautiful examples we can find today of true authentic leadership. Thank you, Allie. So you have, you know, this last two years, you, you keep inspiring me about ways of, you know, oh, we gotta, we gotta bring value this way for our, our clients. And we, well, let's give them this and let's give them this. And you've just taught me continually how to be more generous. And, you know, as we say that a crisis doesn't determine a person, a crisis reveals a person. A crisis doesn't determine a culture, a crisis reveals a culture. And the crisis that Allie and your team is going through right now in the restaurant business is, is an experience of what you have built for 15 years. You have had snapshots these last couple of minutes about what Allie has done to, to create a culture on these conditions. These are what I call the caring conditions. I've got to add a little bit of explanation to, uh, to, to Ali's story here. So if you were to assess whether you care about the people around you, whether your clients, customers, team members, family, ask these four questions. Do they feel safe? Do they feel supported? Do they feel significant? And is, do they feel a sense of responsibility? Safe is about, do I feel safe? Of course, physical safety. That has to be paramount, but also psychological safety. Do people feel free to make mistakes? Do they feel free to bring you the bad news? Do they feel free to be who they are, to be honest and truthful? Now, it's very difficult because if they don't feel safe and you ask them, do you feel safe? They're not going to tell you. You have to keep asking and you have to keep getting feedback from people that are close to you. I know what it's like to carry tension around. And when I'm, in when I'm tense for a long time, if I'm stressed, as I am, have been during this pandemic, it can feel normal to feel stressed if you've carried stress around. You don't even know that you're stressed. You don't even know that you're creating tension around you. And I have to be continually open to be challenged. Dave, it doesn't feel safe around you right now. You're tense. And I have to really be willing to hear that and to grow from that and to care enough about my team that I'm willing to look at myself and look at how am I dealing with stress where is my community? Do my because most of the time, and I'm going to suggest that everybody on this call are civil people who want to do what the right thing. We've all got a good conscience, but we have to really be mindful that sometimes when we're under strain, people around us don't feel safe. Do they feel supported? Do they feel as though 
you've, they've, you've got their back. Yes, you may not be able to give them all the resources that they need to do their job, but are you committed to helping them find what they need? Is that commitment there? Do you feel as though they're, do you recognize them and appreciate them and value their contribution and help them? We, we have a whole module around engagement and fitting people rather than fixing people. We've spent far too much time in the leadership field uh, identifying people's weakness and then strengthening their weakness. This is not a good investment of our time. Finding people's strength and finding their unique abilities and their talents and then use that as a contribution and make the organization better. That's what significance is. And I wanna just have one closing comment here on caring conditions around the sense of responsibility. So I grew up on a farm and we had chickens. My mother always used to say, don't name the chickens. It's hard to cut their head off if you name the chickens. But I'm a caring person and I learned to deal with some of the strain and the trauma in my family by being the caregiver. And I, the good side is a blessing and a curse because the blessing is I can attend and I'm like a prey animal. I'm very aware of tension around me and it makes me capable of doing this work. I couldn't do this work. It also makes me susceptible to getting depressed because I absorb the pain of other people. And so I have to continually monitor this and manage it. But I'm very aware and I'm, I, you know, this is, I, this is, I was always kind of the good kid. And the downside of it is you get burned out and depressed if you're not careful. You have to manage this continually. Well, I went out and helped the chick peck its way out of an egg. It's painful to watch a chick peck its way out of an egg. It, I don't know how long it takes. I take, I don't know, something like 24 hours. I didn't, I couldn't bear to see that. So I'm gonna help it and I'm gonna make it easier. But what happens is to my horror is I killed the chick. Folks, caring isn't always caring. Sometimes in our need to care, we over care and we actually create harm. So I have a little, uh, something that my mother helped me with when I was really struggling with one of, with, with my older daughter, frankly, my oldest daughter. And she made it really clear to help me see, and this was in her wisdom of an elder, to help me see that we're all on our own path. Everybody has their own path. We can walk very closely to the path of others, but you can't carry someone on their path. They have to walk their journey. They have to make their choices. And the best we can do is be beside them. And so my developed a little, a little model here to, to look at life-giving caring, which is to balance support and demand. And by the way, this is the essence of leadership. We need to support people, but we also need to push people. You don't wanna push when people need to be supported, but you don't wanna support when people need to be pushed. Think of this as a parent. Think of this with your teams and every day, it's gonna be different. Does this person need to be supported or do they need to be pushed? And you won't care if it's all support without the capacity to handle the demands of life. That's caring, is to make sure that you keep that in balance. And you know what? It'll never stay in balance. It's a continued work in progress. I know this from raising kids when we, you know, what's the right formula here? Should, do we be more strict? Or do we be more lenient? And I'll tell you, I don't know if we did it right, but I'll tell you one thing, we struggled with it. And in the struggle, my daughters will tell you, they know they were cared for. They knew we invested enough to feel cared for. And that's what I believe the goal is here. You can do this. I believe in you. You are not alone. This is the message of caring that builds responsibility, not overdoing 
not rescuing people from their unhappiness, not caring or pleasing. Big difference between pleasing and caring. Pleasing comes from emptiness. Caring comes from overflow. And so we fill ourselves up so that we can care. This is the difference between self-caring and self-centered. Self-caring says, I take care of myself so that I'm strong enough to then take care of you. Self-centered says, I take care of myself so that I take care of, of myself. So now Ali's going to talk about caring changes lives. And I just want you to listen very carefully to this story about how Ali learned was fostered with the capacity to lead with the degree of caring that she's capable of doing today. It's an amazing story. Allie, go for it. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. You know, Dave's talking about how we're all kind of each on our own, own journey here. And I think caring is such an important thing to us as human beings. And um, the last example or story I want to share with you is a little more personal. Um, so I, I'll start off by saying this, uh, when we were young, most of us would have had someone who would have cared for us in ways that, that would have shaped our lives and changed our lives. And now for me, that was my granny. This is my little Scottish granny, Chrissy Deans or Christina Deans. Now, when I was seven, my parents were divorced. It was kind of one of those overnight, crazy whirlwind divorces where all of a sudden everything was completely flipped upside down. I'd return home from school one day to find out my dad wouldn't be coming home. That was it. It was time to move on. So my mom found herself a single mother struggling to support us. And uh, I would say we went from what I would call a pretty comfortable middle-class life uh, to a life where she was going to have to work really hard for anything that we were going to have. And this is the moment in time where I remember my grand becoming a pivotal part of my life. Now, I want to say, of course, my mom, she was working many hours, late hours all the time to put a roof over her head. And I want to say that that care didn't go unnoticed either. Um, but my mom would see us off to school in the morning and uh, we'd re return home to my grandmother in the afternoon. And, you know, we really just kind of settled into that pattern. It was kind of like it was meant to be. It worked well for all of us. Uh, she shared her love of soap operas with my sister and I. <laughs> We watched her knit and we hung out every afternoon and into the evening. She was there taking care of us and feeding us and just kind of like being that adult presence in our lives. Now, of course, being young, I took this somewhat for granted. I, I think she thought, I think I thought she had nothing better to do. <laughs> and just, you know, she would just show up at our house every day and take care of us. And of course, that wasn't the case. She gave up her life to be there with us. Now, my most favorite thing she ever made was mashed banana sandwiches. So if you have any Scottish people on the call today, you raise your hands, you know what I'm talking about. It is incredible if you haven't had one, but well, it was incredible 30 years ago. <laughs> I would have to assume it's still the same now, but no one made mashed banana sandwiches like granny. I would always ask her to make them for me. You know, caring shows up in our lives from others through these little acts of kindness. I like to call them sparks of light. They're those moments in time where we see the true humanity in this experience of life. Sometimes we don't recognize them in the moment, just as I didn't being 10 years old. <laughs> but now as an adult, I would give anything for one of those mashed banana sandwiches. 
time, it's a funny thing, you know, and we're, when we're not paying attention, it can really slip by. And as I grew into a teenager and into an adult, I had less and less time spent with my grandma. And it really felt like one day I woke up and she was an old lady. And I'm so grateful I was able to recognize that when I did. Um, and through the encouragement of my husband, I was able to start spending more time with her and my grandpa. I actually think we spent almost every weekend with them for the last five years of their life. <laughs> God love my husband. He was such a trooper. <laughs> he would, all, every winter he would shovel the snow and my grandpa would be tapping on the window, telling him to do a better job. <laughs> he was so patient. We would spend so much time talking and reminiscing about the old days and the war and what it was like. I felt like I intimately knew old Scotland. Looking back, it feels as though that five years went by in the blink of an eye. And all of a sudden we were looking at hospice care for my grandma. Now, once we had her there, I went to visit her every day, but deep down I knew time was running out. And at this point in time, she spent most of the time in bed. Now this, it was interesting. I think there's some hospice people on the call today, but the hospice experience I had with her made me strangely grateful. I had her in a place where all of her medical needs were taken care of. There was nothing left to do, but for us to be with each other. I'd brush her hair, I'd rub her feet, I'd paint her toenails, and sometimes I'd just hold her hand. <laughs> One afternoon, she and I were sitting talking about the birds outside. She's like a big, big bird fan. <laughs> and some people came by with a gift. It was an adult coloring book with some pencil crayons. There are pictures of animals, so naturally I was drawn to it and we began coloring them together. And it didn't take long, unfortunately, before she realized her hands weren't up to coloring anymore, but I wasn't gonna give up on, the, on it that easily. So I continued to color the pictures for her. She chose the colors and then I filled them in as she watched and it became something that we would do to pass the time. And then once they were done, I would take them and pin them to her walls in her hospice room. And every day I'd come back and I'd walk in and see all these beautifully colored pictures on the walls. It always made me smile. All the nurses were always commenting about it. And on those days, you know, when I would sit in the room with her, everything else would just melt away. Those minutes were so special to me. And so I'm with my gran and I'm walking this end of road, end of life experience with her in a hospice. And the life that's going on outside of it is racing. So my sister, my only sister, is at the end of her third trimester in her first pregnancy. And I'm like the best auntie ever. <laughs> I'm so excited. And, but when it came time for this baby to arrive, it became obvious that uh, Gran was in her final days. So I received a call one afternoon that my sister was going into labor now, at this time, she wasn't living in the same province, so I had to travel to be with her, and I was so torn. Like, do I leave Do I leave and be with my sister, or do I stay here with my gran? I just don't know. I don't know what kind of time I have. And, and you know what? Such is the dilemma of caring. Sometimes it's the choice between two things that matter so deeply to us, and that decision will never be easy. I remember going home and talking to my husband and I was so torn. And when I woke up the next morning, I knew, I knew my grandmother wouldn't have it any other way and that I needed to go be with my sister. So I booked the flight and I headed back to the hospice to spend some more time with her before I left. 
we pulled out the adult coloring book and I picked out a picture of an owl to color with her that day. Now, I've always been particularly drawn to owls. If you ever come to my house, you'll find owl, owl things around. <laughs> because of this, I read once that a, a Native American symbolism sees owls as a really, an owl is a really intelligent creature, almost like a guardian of wisdom and sacred knowledge. And it's also believed that the owl accompanies the deceased on their journey to the afterlife. And I just always thought that was so beautiful. I've always been fascinated with them. So I spent the afternoon before my flight coloring the owl for her. She honestly mostly slept at this point. She woke up once or twice to choose a color and commented a little. But as the time for my flight drew closer, I knew I wasn't going to finish the picture. Normally I wouldn't have pinned it to the wall, but I took it out and pinned it to the wall anyway. And uh, I gave her a kiss. I told her I loved her. And I told her that I'd finish it when I got back. Now, when the wheels of the airplane <laughs> left the ground that day, I was inconsolable. I cried the entire flight. <laughs> I think the flight attendant didn't know what to do with me. There was so much experience of life happening around me. And I was trying so hard to stay present for it all. Now, <laughs> when I arrived at my sister's, this baby was coming. Like there was no time, it was a shift. <laughs> my focus had shifted from end of life to beginning of one. And after 36 hours of labor and an emergency C-section, my first nephew was born. There was some complications in the surgery, nothing major, but it had kept my sister in the OR longer than expected. And that's when my brother-in-law came out with his newborn son and he placed him in my arms, he told me I needed to watch him so that he could be in the OR with my sister. I'll never forget that moment in time. I sat in a dark hospital room <laughs> in a chair all alone with this beautiful baby who had only entered the world moments ago. I remember telling him I was so excited to meet him and that I was gonna be there for him for anything he needed. He was, he was calm, he was quiet, he was sleeping. It was just so incredibly beautiful. I have so much gratitude in my heart for those moments. I've often relived them. I then decided to tell him about Granny, <laughs> how coming here was one of the hardest decisions I had ever made, but in a lot of the ways, one of the best. I told him how I wasn't sure she'd be there when I got home and that I wished that they could meet each other, but no matter what, she would be there in spirit with us. Now, I was so exhausted, as you can see by this picture, <laughs> pretty disheveled at this time. I return home to my sister's. It's 5 a.m. I'm catching a little shut-eye before going back to help them a little bit more. And I probably wasn't asleep for more than 60 minutes when my phone rang. And it was my aunt. I'm so sorry, Allie, she said. She's gone. She died last night. It's a short, quick conversation and I was just completely overcome. I wanted to get back to the hospital to be with my sister. I knew this was gonna be challenging for her. So when I got back there, we laid together in her hospital bed and we cried. We shared stories of the love <laughs> that our granny had shared with us. And of course, of course, we talked about mashed banana sandwiches. The next day, my sister decided to name her son Christian after our grandmother, Christina. It was the perfect way to honor her life. 
Now, when I returned home for the service, I was still in a bit of a whirlwind and uh, not quite prepared to face the reality of what was about to happen. It was a challenging day. But at the end of it all, I felt so grateful for the moments we had spent together at the end of her life. There were a bunch of things she collected in her time at the hospice, a few of them being stuffed animals and obviously some of the pictures we had colored together. I placed them beside her in her casket so that she could take them with her. And as I walked out of the funeral home that day, I was so, so sad. But at the same time, I felt such a deep sense of love remembering all the care, all the care she'd shared with me as a young girl and how I'd been able to bring that full circle later in my life. Now, I have to say, as this story was evolving, I wouldn't say that I knew what I was doing. <laughs> I just knew I was doing what felt right to me. Now, as I got in the car to drive away from the funeral home, my aunt approached me with a gift bag. And uh, my husband was driving, so as we drove away, I opened the bag, and it was the unfinished owl picture in a frame. It was the last picture we had colored together. Honestly, I had forgotten we even started it. I now keep it on the wall in my office. It's a reminder of me, of, to me, of the effort that we put into things, that it has a ripple effect, and that even though I'm not in control of the time we have left, I'm I am in control of the how we spend it. And those minutes with her were minutes well spent. You know, it's amazing how care comes full circle again and again. So remember my first story when I talked about delivering compassion and the idea to feed Edmonton's homeless? Well, in 2019, Santa YG did a delivering compassion day, which was like essentially a, a random acts of kindness day, kind of an add-on to delivering compassion. So I decided to get involved and support them. And I was thinking about who I could share some kindness with that day and my mind went straight to the hospice. So my sister, Christian, who was now almost three, and I made 10 gift packs with the coloring books and the pencils and headed over there to share some love. Here's a little bit of what that looked like. And what are we gonna do now? Go to the ocean. Yeah, where are we going? Deliver compassion. Deliver compassion. Deliver compassion. Can you say delivering compassion? Good, Good job. job. by saying that some people believe that life and leadership are separate things. And it's my hope that these stories of caring and authentic leadership today show you that it's deeply connected and that care is the core ingredient of being an authentic leader.
series. Thank you, Allie. It's always tough to follow your stories. So folks, I'll just wrap this up by saying that uh, I've been on a project the last three years since my brother's death, and it's my wall of influence. And these are the 25 most influential people in my life who have helped shape me and helped make me who I am today. Caring and leadership truly do ripple beyond generations. And I'm going to leave you with two questions. The first question would be, who would be on your wall? And why are they on your wall? What have they done in your life? And I would encourage you today to acknowledge those people. And you may only start, you start with two or three people and start to acknowledge them and then take some time each week to reflect on how you can expand your wall and why people would make your wall and call them, let them know, acknowledge why they're on your wall and what they did in your life. You will not find a better leadership development exercise because everything that you see in others, you have in yourself. The second most important question though, is this one. And that is whose wall will you one day end up being on? What if you could live your life in such a way that you would earn the right to be on somebody's wall? that you could invest not just in the transaction of being a boss, but invest through caring the transformation to be a true leader in someone's life. Not because the wall's important, folks, but because the impact is important by being real and by being caring. In closing, I'd just like to share one more thing with you today. It's an excerpt from the story, The Velveteen Rabbit. Now, this is a children's book from the 1960s by Marjorie Williams. And it's a story about an old toy rabbit who's friends with a toy skin horse. And I'm just gonna read you, I just have it here. I'm just gonna read it to you because it's so beautiful. I just love this. Dave introduced me to it and now I've kind of stolen it from him, but he lets me. <laughs> so what is real, asked the rabbit. Real isn't how you're made, replied the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you. It doesn't happen all at once, you become. It takes a very long time. Does it hurt? Asked the rabbit. Sometimes, replied the skin horse. But when you become real, you don't mind the hurt. Becoming real doesn't often happen to people who break easily or who have sharp edges or who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you're real, most of your hair has been loved off, your eyes drop out, you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you're real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand. We understand, we love the authentic journey and we'd be honored if you wanted to join us. Regardless, we're honored that you joined us today and you shared your minutes with us. So thank you so much, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us once again for another episode of The Other Everest. It's our mission to continue to bring you engaging, heartwarming, and inspiring content. So if you have any feedback or suggestions, please feel free to visit davidirvin.com at any time, as we would love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please rate it or subscribe, or simply share the episodes with people you know who would also enjoy this conversation. Authentic leaders create ripples in time, 
Those ripples extend to generations yet unborn. And it's not just impact in the here and now, but impact in here and forever. Thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts for being a part of this journey with us. Until we meet again. Thank you.